Dude, Coachella. Some of the biggest names in the music industry have played this festival since it debuted in 1999 on large grass fields out in the California desert. It was better than I could have ever expected it to be. Coachella is always kind of really special weekend or two weekends. I'm talking about like Madonna, Sir Paul McCartney, and of course, Beyonce with her homecoming performance, which I still say is one of the five coolest things humans have ever done. Beyonce is such a powerful person. Mm-hmm. The mere sight of her <laughs> sends people into hysterics. But then... The major cities across the country are looking more like ghost towns. Heightened states of emergency across the nation as a number of coronavirus cases soars above 3,000. Yep, the pandemic happened. And just like the rest of the live entertainment industry, Coachella stopped. But after years of no Chella, Coronavirus really be challenging my creativity right now because <laughs> they just canceled Coachella. Coachella is back. How excited are you to be back in the desert? I'm so excited to finally be back, see the outfits, see what Coachella has planned for us. I'm so excited to finally get back to the desert and just to be around people again. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Monday, April 18th, 2022. Today, what Coachella's returned this past weekend and next weekend says about the state of the music industry. Michael Wood is a pop music critic for the Los Angeles Times, and he covered weekend one of Coachella. Michael, welcome to The Times. Thanks, Gustavo. It's good to be here. The only time I went to Coachella, it was 2003, my friend Caro and her brother Luis, we all went together to see Café Tacuba and the reunion of Iggy Pop and the Stooges. Geez, that's what, almost 20 years ago. So Mm. I know Coachella has grown a lot since then, but how big and important is it compared to other music festivals? So big is debatable. I mean, you know, there are other shows that might be bigger. Glastonbury in the UK is absolutely ginormous. But important, I would say that Coachella is probably the most important music festival in the world. It's definitely the most prestigious. And there's a couple of reasons for that. I mean, one of them is it comes first in the calendar year because of our glorious Southern California weather. We can have a big outdoor music festival and everybody else is like still freezing. And so... As a result, it kind of like sets the the agenda for festival season. Coachella typically announces its lineup first, usually in the very beginning of January. Coachella Valley Music Arts Festival went on sale at 10 o'clock this morning, and by lunch, the tickets were gone for both weekends. And it's not like Lollapalooza or Bonnaroo or whatever is like waiting to see who Coachella books to then jump on the same acts. That's not quite the case. But over the kind of long arc of history, you can see that Coachella has kind of been the trendsetter for who's going to be relevant in a given year. One of the reasons for that is the guy who runs Golden Voice, which is the company that puts on Coachella, this guy Paul Tollette. We just wanted to do something different. If you're doing a big event that you got a lot of risk on, Make sure the lineup is a must-see. He has just really developed a shrewdness about what acts are on the way up. So let's say he's booking, you know, in the summer for the Coachella in the following year. He's just really developed a kind of a spidey sense that who people are going to be want to be seeing the following 
spring, which is great. It makes Coachella seem on top of things all the time. It's also good kind of economically. It's sort of a buy low, sell high thing. I think you can see that in Doja Cat. I'm Doja Cat. I rap and I sing and I write music and I do stuff and stuff. You know, Doja Cat is on the show this year, but when she was originally booked, uh, sort of pre-COVID, she was one kind of performer. And now Coachella's happening and she's like, orders of magnitude bigger. She's kind of a B plus, A minus pop star at this point. So you can presume that the contract that he struck with her, maybe it's been updated, who knows, but you can assume that he got her at a really good price and now here she is. Then of course, there's the fact that Coachella is kind of a glamorous destination, right? You've seen the Instagram shots. It's beautiful mountain, deserts, palm trees, yada, yada, which kind of dovetails perfectly with social media, Instagram, influencer culture. What's up, everyone? It's Natalie here. And today I am talking about everything Coachella related. So it's just a really closely watched festival. Everybody's always got their eyes on Instagram, which I think has bolstered its reputation in a big way. It's really interesting to me as a Gen Xer because I remember when Lollapalooza used to be the big concert that, of course, it was a tour that went on around. That was the early 90s. And Coachella came relatively late, starting in 99. So what was its origins? So the Empire Polo Club, which is this big grassy expanse in Indio out in the desert, Golden Voice put on a show. You may remember Pearl Jam in the early 90s when they were sort of battling Ticketmaster. They didn't want to play gigs. Yeah, that takes me back. Yeah, totally. They didn't want to play gigs where they had to sell their tickets through Ticketmaster. All the members of Pearl Jam remember what it's like to be young and not have a lot of money. We have made a conscious decision that we do not want to put the price of our concerts out of the reach of our fans. So they ended up playing these shows at the Empire Polo Club in Indio in 93. And that sort of went well. And that sort of planted the seed in Golden Voice's honchos that this could be a cool place to do a big festival, kind of a European style music festival. You know, you might know Glastonbury or Reading or Leeds, but that wasn't really a big thing in the U.S. As you say, Lollapalooza traveled around, but like having a festival that was just sort of stayed in a place, that was kind of a new idea. So they thought up Coachella and started it in 99. There are people out there and you walk out and it's people as far as you can see, a giant sea of humanity. Uh, at that time it was in October, which was like brutally hot. And this was kind of, it was trying to present itself as the anti-Woodstock 99. You probably remember that show. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> it kind of had a huge bad reputation. A hardware truck was broken into and glow sticks that were to be distributed at the rave were thrown into the night air. Some fans even trying to break into a couple of ATMs. There was fires and riots and sexual assaults, just like a really, really grim experience. It really looks like a war zone. There's debris everywhere. People left their tents, plastic bags everywhere, plastic bottles, broken glass, empty pizza boxes everywhere. And so Coachella wanted to present itself as a little touchy-feely, a little kinder, a little more California mellow. We all like the music here, you know. We basically came for that. And, you know, that time they had Beck and the Chemical Brothers and Rage Against the Machine and Tool. It was kind of an alternative rock vibe back in that day. How did the festival begin to evolve? So in 2001, Golden Voice partnered with AEG, which is one of the big global 
concert promotion behemoths. And that gave them a little bit of financial stability. Because, you know, at the beginning, Coachella wasn't making a lot of money or maybe any money. They were losing money. But AEG was like a huge infusion of cash, of course. So they didn't do a show in 2000. And then they came back in 2001. And then in 2002, they finally start to make some money. 2004, they sell out. That has Radiohead and The Cure, if people remember. Thank you for listening to Radiohead this evening. We hope you have a lovely time. Good night. And then it's still kind of alt-rock at this point. And then around 2006, Madonna plays. And that's like a huge pivotal moment in Coachella history because that's like, obviously, just like a legit mainstream pop diva. Some people thought, oh, Coachella's over, like they've gone too mainstream. Some people thought it was a cool sort of reframing of Madonna's celebrity. But that's when it sort of, I think, began to go on the trajectory where we see it now. We'll continue the story after the break. And we're back with my LA Times colleague, pop music critic, Michael Wood. So Michael, aren't there other events around Coachella like, there's Stagecoach, and I think there's Old Cella, too, something like that. Yeah, Stagecoach is also put on by Golden Voice. It's kind of the country Coachella. It started in 2007, and it's a huge deal. It happens the weekend after Coachella. Old Cella, uh, greatest nickname in music history, also known <laughs> as Desert Trip. People might remember this. This is a few years ago. It had, like, Bob Dylan and the Rolling Stones and Neil Young. I think the energy that is really the audience is going to be, like, stoked. And that's going to make, you know, they're going to feel real special about being able to see all of this at once. It's a celebration of music and history. Which was just like a, you know, no one had ever seen like a booking, a festival like that with these like legends of 60s rock. Not since Woodstock, at least. Uh, okay, <laughs> so at this point, we're talking a lot of boomer acts for the younger people in the audience. Go Google who they were. But at what point does Golden Voice start expanding the artists and genres beyond its uh, bread and butter. Prince is the first black headliner in 2008. And then Jay-Z comes and plays. I had a beautiful time with y'all tonight. I felt y'all energy and y'all spirit. I just want y'all to do And then 2012, Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre played, sort of definitely brought in more hip hop to the show. Coachella. You know, there was a hologram of Tupac that year, which is kind of yeah. an interesting <laughs> thing. And 2012, you know, that was also the year where the show had become such a success that it went to two weekends. Now it just wasn't one weekend in April. It was two successive weekends right in a row. And around that time, that's when I start seeing Coachella really start blowing up on Instagram, not even just a artists themselves, but like art installations, fashion, it starts, Coachella to me starts to becoming more than just music at that point. Yeah, it's kind of a lifestyle destination. I think the art becomes a bigger part of it, at least on social media, at least in terms of visual representation. Today, we got some backstage wristbands to go see the art exhibits at the Coachella Valley Art and Music Festival the crazy art that you've probably seen all over Instagram. There's a pretty famous, like, 
astronaut that was kind of hovering around the festival grounds all weekend. I mean, there's a zillion selfies and Instagram pictures that had that. 2018, you know, that was the year Beyonce played the show and actually sort of renamed it like Beychella. Thank you for allowing me to be the first black woman to headline Coachella. That may be the best show I've ever seen in my life. It was wow. certainly the best Coachella show I've ever seen. She made a Netflix documentary of it. There's a live album. I dreamt of this performance and this is everything and more that I, I dreamt of it being. And thank you guys for sharing this with me. And that was a real sort of moment where Coachella was planting a flag as like, this is going to be a destination. You're going to see things here that you don't see anywhere else. It's not just that, oh, all the big pop stars are stopping here on their tour. This is kind of like a one-off, bespoke kind of performance that you can't see anywhere else. The year after Beyonce, I, I remember thinking, oh, you could feel the sort of anxiety of like how to follow it up. That had Childish Gambino and Tame Impala and Ariana Grande, which was interesting because... Ariana Grande, obviously, a sort of clearly like a top 40 superstar, which was kind of a new look for Coachella. Coachella, let's go. But it's interesting. I mean, I remember at that time thinking Coachella is live streamed on YouTube. And that was the year, 2019, where I remember feeling like, oh, Coachella is as much now for people who are watching it at home on YouTube as it is for the people who are actually in Indio. And in some ways, that's interesting. I remember the Childish Gambino show was visually stunning. But you also kind of felt, well, I don't know. I mean, I schlepped out all here all the way to the desert. I, I kind of want to feel like this is for me rather than somebody who's watching at home. You know what I mean? And then 2020. And then 2020. So the festival was going to happen, in, as always, in April 2020. That gets bumped back initially till October 2020 because of COVID. Then it's clear that that's not going to happen. And it gets sort of bumped again to April 2021. That gets called off. And here we are looking for the first Coachella in three years. The numbers, what are they money-wise around Coachella, uh, you know, before the pandemic, like both for the people who perform and for Golden Voice? Unsurprisingly, Golden Voice isn't out here trumpeting the numbers, but it's sort of generally understood that headliners make about eight million bucks uh, over the two weekends. So, you know, three to four million dollars per show, which is... <laughs> Obviously, very good money. Non-headliners, it totally depends on where you rank in the bill. And like I said, with Doja Cat, like when you were booked. But, you know, 100 grand, that's what people talk about for the acts on that sort of order. As for Coachella itself, it is thought to make about 100 million bucks, maybe a little bit more than 100 million bucks every year. Wow. And all of this just goes into hibernation, limbo, whatever you want to say, starting in 2020. And only recently have musicians and venues, especially in California, really started to offer concerts and festivals again. What did musicians do in the past two years to weather this crisis? I mean, you name it. I think we all probably saw, you know, live streams. Um, I hope everybody who is in here is doing okay and doing good. My name is Mahalia, for those of you who don't know me. Um, and I'm going to play some songs for you guys. Uh, wicked. Okay. People playing shows from their houses or wherever, which, you know, was kind of interesting for a while. And I think people kind of got burnt out on that a little bit. But people got inventive, did all kinds of wacky stuff. Travis Scott, Ariana Grande were like doing concerts in the world of Fortnite you know, play, becoming like a video game avatar and doing concerts from inside that. Obviously, Instagram Live was huge for people trying to 
you know, do concerts that people could watch. There were some sponsorship vibes. You know, Diplo, the DJ, teamed with Jack in the Box for an event, perhaps unfortunately called Prom in the Box, which, oof. Um, And, you know, there was also drive-in concerts, which were kind of interesting. Concert promoter Live Nation will debut a series of drive-in concerts next month so fans can enjoy live music while social distancing. Live Nation, which is AEG's prime competitor, they had a whole series of concerts like around the Midwest with country acts, people like Darius Rucker and Brad Paisley where you could drive in and see a concert and kind of have a tailgate experience, if you will. Fans will watch from inside or around their cars, and they can bring their own food and drinks. Paisley says it's not about making money, but staying sane. What about the companies like AEG and Golden Voice? How were they able to survive? Yeah, lots of live music businesses sought help from the, you know, the government. There was various acts that Congress pushed through to help clubs and stuff. Paul Tillette, who leads Golden Voice, he told us at the LA Times that they'd done well enough over the years that they did not request government assistance. I think he was kind of proud of that. But there were, you know, folks for sure were furloughed at the time because there was just so little work to be done in the live space. The other thing I know just went humongous was music streaming. I mean, it's been around for over a decade at this point, but... I would assume that more people were listening or streaming music. So did any royalties from that, did that help musicians make some money? Streaming is definitely booming. It is by far the dominant way that people listen. I mean, in 2020, overall music revenue increased like almost 10% over the previous year. Um, we're talking about 12 billion bucks or so. And streaming is about 83% of recorded music income in the US. That's what the Recording Industry Association of America says. Spotify officials say its paying subscribers have reached 100 million for the first time, up 32% on the year and almost twice the latest figures for Apple Music. And yet, although there is tons of activity happening in streaming, there's not necessarily a ton of money. I mean, people probably know that you get a fraction of a penny per stream on Spotify and artists have complained about this a lot. People are being increasingly vocal You know, Spotify is not the only streaming service. There's also Apple Music and Tidal and Amazon, whatever. But Spotify clearly dominates the space. And so they've sort of become the target for a lot of activist groups that say, look, you've got millions and millions of people using your service and you're nothing without music. So you need to start paying out more. Spotify, you keep squeezing us. And why are we the last to get paid anything? As the biggest streaming service of all the streaming services, with paying less than 0.004 cents a stream. We know you have the income, stop it. And there's also other services that have popped up. You know, Bandcamp presents itself as a more artist-friendly kind of model. Today is Bandcamp Friday. That means if you buy any music or merch from bands off of Bandcamp, they will get 100% of that profit. And yet, a couple months ago, Bandcamp was bought by Epic, the company that makes Fortnite, which sort of concerned a lot of people. So the the economics of streaming are complicated for artists. What about merch? Merch is huge. That is a way that artists make a ton of their income. But that kind of depends, not entirely, but kind of depends on touring, on being able to be in places and set up the stand where you can sell your $140 hoodies and so forth. I mean, you can do it online, of course, but merch is tied very closely to touring. More after a quick break.
And we're back. Michael, we've been talking a lot about how the pandemic affected musicians, but it's also the cities that host the venues and festivals. In Coachella's case, it's the Coachella Valley. It took a big hit because of no festival. Oh, totally. I mean, the, those desert cities, Indio, Palm Desert, Palm Springs, La Quinta, they absolutely depend on Coachella and Stagecoach as well. You know, April is just an absolutely huge part of their yearly business. You know, sold out hotels, restaurants, people buying all the smart water at CVS that they can fit into their, you know, hybrid vehicle. It's just absolutely, it makes all that kind of stuff absolutely a demand on that. It's interesting, booking my hotel for this year's show, I found that hotels were requiring you to pay in advance because I assumed they got burned in 2020 and 2021 mm. when people made reservations and then, of course, canceled them. So this time, you know, even if you're booking months in advance, they made you pay the whole thing. This year's festival sold out within hours last June. That's how fast it goes. As usual, it sells out all the time without even a single artist being named. So live music business, it's back to normal now? I think that's generally the feeling. You know, Lollapalooza happened last summer and you can kind of think of that as like a trial balloon. It generally considered a success in terms of ticket sales and being a satisfying kind of artistic experience. And I, I think people generally decided this wasn't like a super spreader event. So Coachella coming back, I think people want to see it as like a return to normalcy. Like the, here we go, 2022 is going to be festival season. As we've known it, you know, COVID is obviously still with us, but I think people are eager to get back to some kind of normal. Who, who are the headliners this year and what do they say about music right now? The headliners are Harry Styles. I want you to be whoever it is you have always wanted to be in this field tonight. The English former boy band Heartthrob from One Direction. Billie Eilish, who's, you know, fresh off her Oscar win and kind of maybe the highest profile Gen Z pop star who's out there. And then Kanye West, or Ye, as he calls himself now, was going to be the third headliner, the Sunday night headliner, but he backed out uh, a couple weeks before it. And so now it's the two Sundays are headlined by Swedish House Mafia, which is a huge dance music trio with The Weeknd. They've made some songs together and they travel in the same orbit. So they're kind of combining for a, the Sunday night headlining slot. Yeah, Billie Eilish and The Weeknd, I like. Harry Styles... I still have not heard his music, and I'm sure I heard Swedish House Mafia since I like The Weeknd. So is there, though, beyond the headliners, is there a predominant genre that's big this year? You know, I think Coachella, to its credit, to Golden Voice's credit, they do a good job of spreading it. So you get a little bit of everything. You know, it started as like an alternative rock festival. For a while, it kind of seemed like it was going to maybe become like a dance music heavy festival. But they, I think they do a pretty good job now of making sure that it's not just like one kind of thing. It's a little bit of everything. One of the cool things I've seen Coachella doing in the past couple of times it's happened is that they get a lot of non-English music groups now. I'm thinking like J Balvin from Colombia, Bad Bunny, of course, from Puerto Rico, trap artist. Uh, you had Los Angeles Azules in the past. I said earlier, Café Tacuba. Uh, you even have K-pop. There's a group, Blackpink. Who are going to be the non-English stars this year? Yeah, I, th I think Coachella has really tried to sort of realize, hey, this show takes place in Southern California. We need to make sure that Spanish language music is a big part of the festival. This year, there's a Grupo Ferme and Banda Amese who are both playing, which I think is like a cool way of diversifying the um, lineup. There's also Carol G from Colombia 
And there is uh, Anita, who's from Brazil. So I think that they have, you know, Latin music is obviously a huge part of pop music at this point. And I think Coachella has recognized that and sort of said, this needs to be a strong thread in the show we put on every year. And that really gives, you know, gives it legitimacy with a lot of folks. But there's also the influencers. What are the influencers doing this year? The Instagram and TikTok influencers. I mean, they're going to be finding the best backdrops to, <laughs> you know, I remember one year I was walking across the field to see something. And I, I have to admit, I don't know which member of the Kardashian cinematic universe that it was, but one of them was walking across the field and I passed by them and it was wild. They're like accompanied by a whole crew of a, a steady cam guy and like what I assume is like a hair and makeup person. And it was like, wow, this was like, it was like a set, you know, like Coachella was like a set for the sort of social media presentation that this person was putting on. Wow, that is, there's going to be a whole army of them, I'm sure. And you covered the first weekend. Is there a difference usually between the two separate weekends that Coachella's held? Lineup-wise, it's the exact same. Sometimes, you know, the, some of the bigger artists will bring out different surprise guests from weekend one to weekend two. You know, weekend two is definitely a chiller experience. A lot less media coverage. It's just a different kind of a story. People say it's a lot more mellow. Some people really prefer weekend two because it's not exactly the like media circus that weekend one can be. And then finally, Michael, fashion. In the past, millennials and zillennials have donned flower crowns or Native American headdresses. What's going to be the tone-deaf Coachella fashion statement this year? Oh, I mean, wh why do we need to limit ourselves to one? The beauty of Coachella <laughs> is that I'm sure there will be more than one horrific trend to observe on social media. And you could read all of Michael's reporting, highlights from Coachella Weekend One at latimes.com. Michael, thank you so much for this conversation. Uh, thank you, man. It's always great to talk to you. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, Border City is back. We've got episode three of the new podcast about a reporter's life and career in Tijuana from our sister publication, the San Diego Union Tribune. David Toledo was a head on this episode and our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Kasha Brasalian, David Toledo, Ashley Brown, and Angel Carreras. Our engineer on this episode was Mike Heflin. Our editor is Kinsey Moreland. Our executive producers are Hasmin Aguilera and Shawnee Hilton. And our theme music is by Andrew Eatman. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. Don't make us the Puccia Podcasts. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news in this madre. Gracias. Gracias.